Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Des Bishop Podcast. I'm excited about today's episode because I'll admit it. Sometimes I'm a bit lazy with getting guests and there's often very interesting things that I want to talk about and I can't figure out who to find or how to find somebody. But there's so much news about Bitcoin lately that I was like, I got I to gotta finally figure out what Bitcoin is, what's going on, what's real, what's not. So I text David McWilliams, which, you know, I, I, like, to, I like to keep the David McWilliams connection. You know, I don't like to overuse it. Because he's, he's, he's very well connected, but he's also very generous with helping out. So I don't like to take advantage. But I knew that this was his area of expertise. So I texted him and he connected me up with Peter McCormick, who has the podcast, What Bitcoin Did. And he spent a large number of years now uh, chatting about Bitcoin, learning about Bitcoin, investing in Bitcoin. And he agreed to do the pod, which is coming up now in a sec. So I am very grateful to Dave McWilliams. I'm very grateful to Peter McCormick. And I learned a lot. Now, I have to tell you, as you're listening, I didn't figure it all out because uh, it is complicated. And I didn't want to bore Peter with uh, too many entry-level questions. But he was patient with my entry-level questions. And I did understand a lot more. But if at the end of this episode you're still thinking there are some, some things I still don't understand, that's fine because I was the exact same. But the way I look at it is now we have some foundation level information that we can we can grow upon, take it uh, into Google searches and probably understand a little bit more. Because I've, I've tried to figure out some stuff myself, but I always come up against uh, some of the questions that, that I ask Peter. So um, if, you're, uh, if you're like me and you've been sort of wondering what Bitcoin is and what's going on with it all, and what about the other uh, cryptocurrencies, then this is the episode for you. If you're not, I still think it's a good episode because it's just very interesting about how Bitcoin came about, uh, the Silk Road, uh, anti-government, libertarian sort of ideology. There's a lot of stuff going on here, so I highly recommend you stick with it, even if you're thinking right now that Bitcoin is not your thing. So as always, guys, before we uh, get into the episode, thank you so much. We love when you leave five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, love comments, reviews on Apple Podcasts. We love the screenshots from Spotify up on Instagram. Just remember, if you listen on Spotify, you cannot leave a review. Sometimes people message me, be like, I'm trying to leave a review. I can't leave a review. You cannot leave a review on Spotify, but I love a screenshot and a post on Instagram or Facebook. Uh, Tell people you listen to the podcast on Twitter. We absolutely Love that. I feel like this one will be more active on Twitter because I feel like this is more of like a Twitter topic, uh, which is not a judgment. I just feel like this is more of a Twitter space type situation. So if you're on Twitter this week, do let people know that you listened to this episode. Um, And just a reminder that my Patreon is patreon.com forward slash Des Bishop every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Had some great episodes lately. Uh, So 
check that out. And other than that, just enjoy this episode and I'll talk to you at the end of the app. Well, first of all, Peter, thank you so much for doing this because I almost feel guilty because I have everything at my disposal to research about Bitcoin and understand Bitcoin. And in the end, I kept procrastinating doing it. And then I asked Dave McWilliams, did he know anybody that could help me figure it out? And here you are. Here we are. No, don't worry about it. Everyone procrastinates. Well, everyone thinks by the time they've discovered it, they've procrastinated. I feel like I have. I know. And you're like, you're like completely on top of it. And, you know, I deliberately didn't go back to the early parts of your podcast because I wanted to remain as bewildered uh, as I am so that I could ask you the truly ignorant questions. Because even though I don't want to bore you, but I feel like the majority of my listeners will be as kind of bewildered as I am. So I wanted to go in with that very entry level ignorance to see if you could, uh, if you could help us understand. Yeah, no problem. That's that's what my podcast is for. Is it, I ask all the basic questions. Yeah. So, um, first of all, this is the most important thing with a podcast with the majority of Irish listeners. It's very important to endear yourself to the Irish. You are a descendant of the Celtic people. I am. I'm a McCormack, and uh, my son is a Connor McCormack, spelled pro- spelled the proper way, C O N O R. My my father is uh, a leash man. He grew up in Abbey Leaks. Uh, he moved to England when he was young with his father and his brothers, uh, brothers and sister, and then he retired back to Donegal God, 12 years ago. So I've been to Ireland 50, 60, 70 times, a lot. And and do you remember Abbey Leaks before it was bypassed by the motorway? <sighs> do you know what? I went when I was tiny for a, <laughs> reun- for, for a reunion. But to be honest, that's hasn't every every city or town in Ireland been bypassed ever since? I know, but Abbey Leaks, my- Abbey Leaks was famous because for a long time it was the first town that you hit after you'd been on the motorway. So Abbey Leaks no, was, was kind of synonymous with like, when is Ireland going to come into the future? I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I mean, I've I've driven a lot because you're always trying to get the the cheap flight. So sometimes you fly to Derry and drive down. Sometimes to Belfast and across. Sometimes to Dublin and up. I've flown down to a, a lot of times into uh, Knock. Uh, that's probably the most popular <laughs> one. Uh, for your sins, I've flown, yeah, for my sins. But I mean, I've I've been to most parts of Ireland. So, uh, first of all, how did you like? How did you find yourself? in in this this world of bitcoin like how did you suddenly end up being a bitcoin podcaster or somebody who uh you know wants to find out as much as possible about bitcoin do you do you want the do you want the, do you want the true story i want the true story man uh so back in 2017 uh no 2013 one of my friends phoned me up and he was like pete there's this website you can buy drugs with you can buy drugs on it, and you need this thing called Bitcoin. I was like, "What?" It's like, yeah, it's it's a bit That's, like that. Uh, is I definitely want the true story. This is this is exactly how I want a Bitcoin story to start. Oh well, well no, because he was like, it was like it's like Amazon, and you go on, and basically you can buy anything, but you can buy drugs. And he said the best thing is all the all the dealers are rated, so uh, nobody dares sell any crap because they don't want to get bad reviews. I was like. What? What do you want about? Anyway, <laughs> so I ended up I ended up downloading a, a Tor browser, which allows you to go onto the dark web, which some people will have heard about, and uh, went on and I had a look, and I was like, huh, "Cocaine, okay." <laughs> uh, ended up buying some Bitcoin, and then um, had a really unhealthy uh, cocaine habit for about six months with the Silk Road, 
uh, stopped in the end because I was like, this is this is going too far. Um, uh, I traded a bit of Bitcoin as well, but then kind of what happened was the price shot up back in 2013. It went up like it's doing now. It went up to like $1,200 and crashed. And I never really looked at Bitcoin. I just used it to buy drugs. Uh, so then I ignored it. And then what happened is about... God, it was back into 2016. My mum, my mum was sick. She had cancer. We wanted to get her cannabis oil, and uh, my dad was like, "Well, where do we get this?" And I said to him, well, "You remember that problem I had a few, a few years ago?" I was like, "Where well, you go on those websites, and we can buy some cannabis oil." So he was like, "Okay, uh, how do we do it?" And so we needed a bitcoin. So it was about seven hundred dollars, I think, at the time. So he transferred me the money. I bought the Bitcoin. We bought the cannabis oil. Um, and then, uh, sadly, my mum passed away down in Sligo. Um, yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. I hadn't heard about that. We're, we're, we're yeah. similar in that in that world. You've been through that, yeah? Yes, um, I have, yeah. And, and, and nothing against Sligo, but that hospital is just, it's, yeah, spent too long there. Um, but so anyway, you know what it's like in Ireland? Like, they want to bury the body straight away. So we're back at the house. Um so I have to change my flights. My kids come over. We bury mum two days later. And then it's just like there was like this vacuum of what do we do now? Um, so I went to uh, sell the Bitcoin back. And I was just looking at it going, oh, I wonder what's going on here. And and then there's this other thing called Ethereum. So yeah. I was like, uh, I was out of work. I used to work in advertising. And um, I quit. I kind of rage quit the industry. And um, so I had nothing Coca- to do. With- buying cocaine with Bitcoin helps you to get the rage up, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I did my Jerry Maguire moment where I kind of like wrote the whole industry shit. You're all liars. Go fuck yourselves. Um, but then I was obviously didn't have a job after that. And, but I had some money left over. So I was like, fuck it. I'm going to buy some Bitcoin. So I bought some Bitcoin and I bought some Ethereum. And then I traded for most of the, the year. I wasn't very good at it, but I, I traded and got kind of lucky and then realize I'm like, I'm not going to be very good at this. And then through a weird set of events, um, basically because of the cocaine, I ended up going to this uh, yoga retreat in Italy that was run by this vegan guy from LA called Rich Roll. I don't know if you know him. I don't know him, no. He's like a vegan ultra athlete who like, he, he does uh, like Ironman in consecutive days. But he was like, look, if you're ever in LA, let me know. So I was out in LA and he, I said, look, I think I'm going to do a podcast. And he just told me what to do. And here we are four years later. Wow. So that's so. what's really great about your journey to Bitcoin is it, it, it very much mirrors the Bitcoin journey, which is dark web, buying drugs, and, and then slowly you sort of come into the mainstream of podcast. You know, Elon Musk is, is you know, like brought it really into the mainstream as, as you, uh, you know, kind of come into the mainstream as one of the, one of the, the good voices of Bitcoin. So it's, it's really good to have a, have a genuine Bitcoin backstory like you do. Yeah. I mean, that, that was the story for a lot of people who got in like 2012, 2013. I think it's changing a lot now. Um, I think the story for people who came in in say 2017, you have these four year cycles, right? And so, uh, people can tend to come in different reasons of those cycles, um, but I, it's, it's, that's kind of like one of the old school stories. But it's not told as as often these days. I mean, depending on which podcast I'm on, I, I tend to just start from maybe 2017. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, you're with the right guy. I haven't taken drugs or alcohol since 1995, so you're telling the right guy about your the cocaine origins of your yeah. of your Bitcoin story. But um, but it, it's it's interesting because for me the beginning of my Bitcoin awareness was very much that 
I guess, second spike. You, you, you talk about this spike around 2013, but I remember mm-hmm. the, 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 the spike of whatever that was, 2017, that, that crazy time where it went up to like 14 grand and then came back 20? down to six or 20. Yeah, came back down to well, six. Are we doing dollars here or pounds? Sorry, I, 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 I can't even remember. <laughs> dollars. I just, so it, it, I dollars just remember 20, being 000. happy at the time that I didn't buy it and then revising that happiness in recent times being like, because of course, like everybody, you're watching the story. It's a very public story. And then it goes back down to like six or four. I can't remember what it went back down to in, in dollars, I think. I, I always think yeah. in. And I remember at the yeah. time thinking like, well, I just buy one for the crack. But I literally was still at that stage of thinking – but why throw your money in the toilet? Because it's just well, that- it's funny because you reprice it as well, uh, Des. You reprice stuff and you go, God, how much did I spend? Like there's that pizza guy who spent ten thousand on pizza. Like I look back and I was like, shit, I spent somewhere between one and two million on drugs in, back in if you price it on the current price. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I spent I spent like fifty to hundred Bitcoin probably on on the silk road and it's like crap i mean but the thing is you would never save it you know it's not like i i would have bought it and saved it because i didn't but you do reprice it and you're like oh shit yeah yeah of course okay so 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 basically around that time i did very entry-level research found out the winkelvoss mm-hmm. brothers were involved i knew that it was some complicated program i knew that they were using these huge computers and deserts to try to mine bitcoin but i never really got beyond that so I need to go right back down to, to the basics, okay? Okay. The first question, what, what, is, what, what is Bitcoin? <laughs> the perennial question. Do you know what? <laughs> Whoever you ask this, you always get a different answer. Is that right? That's really fun. Yeah, it's really funny. Um, so, and also it evolves. I, I think the easiest way to explain it is to say to people, Bitcoin is digital gold. It's just like gold, but it's digital and it's got, these special properties, one of them being that you can teleport it anywhere in the world. So with gold, you've got a problem. Like, Des, if I want to send you some gold, I mean, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I'm going to send it in the post, hope it gets there. But if I want to send you Bitcoin, you just give me an address and it's with you quickly. But then I think you always need to follow that up and say, well, why do I want to own gold? Like, you know, what's because most people don't own gold. And the reason you, you tend to want to own gold is to store value because Gold has a scarce supply. There's a limited supply in the world. Therefore, it tends to hold value. So if you look at the stock market and you see it going up, but you see it priced in gold, it looks very different. Um, and we've seen now through this pandemic that governments can print any amount of money they want. They just keep printing money. Inflation goes up. What people tend to do in times of inflation is hold gold because they maintain purchasing power. And so Bitcoin does that. Bitcoin has a limited 21 million supply. So you're you're getting to hold a scarce asset um, during times of inflation, and you've just got these magical properties that gold doesn't have, 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 which is, like I say, you can teleport it around in the world, and it subdivides into 100 million pieces. So that I get that part. I get the store of value part. What I don't get is who decided that Bitcoin was a thing and why, you know, why does it get created or mined and 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 how did people decide that this bitcoin would have any value at all in the first place because it's not backed yeah. by a government right it's a, it, it th- there's parts of it that are hard for me to to grab onto other than why does the dollar have value i understand that there's loads of this that just has to do with 
value being a, a non-tangible thing. That part I get, but I can't get my my head around who decided that this Bitcoin had value or that it was it was identifiable. Yeah, good questions. So there's a few things to unpack there. Let's start with where it came from. So there's a group of people called the Cypherpunks, a bunch of kind of coders and rebels who for a long time were trying to create digital money. Um, and the problem they kept coming up against was something called the double spend problem, in that if I had some digital money and I could send it to two people, how could you make sure that didn't happen? So over a number of years, different people were trying to create a digital money. And Satoshi Nakamoto, the pseudonymous creator, we don't know who it is, he essentially put the pieces of the puzzle together. Now, I won't go into the details today because I think for your audience, the, the, the details are too technical. Yes. But he finally solved that double spend problem, which means if I was to send you that Bitcoin, I couldn't send it to anyone else. And he did that through what you would have heard of called the blockchain. Yes. So the bigger and more, more important question is where you say, well, it's not backed by anything. I understand the dollar because of the US government. But really, the dollar, like the pound, isn't really backed by anything. And actually, what the Bitcoiners have realized is that the reason Bitcoin is better is because it isn't backed by anything. Like, it isn't backed by a government. The problem we have with the US dollar or the British pound is, like I say, any time of uncertainty or if the government's failed, you know, if they've got, you know, got issues, they can just print money. I mean, the UK government's like $400 billion. The US government, what is it, down to trillions this year? I mean, they've printed 20% of the dollar supply this year. And what that does, that cheapens money because it increases the, the supply. The great thing about Bitcoin is the supply is fixed. It has been fixed, I think, pretty much since inception, it's been fixed. I'd have to check that. But I'm pretty sure the 21 million was hard, well, it's actually hard coded in a different way. The 21 million fixed limit is hard coded from the start. That's never going to increase. It will always be 21 million. So if you hold it and I hold it, we know that no more is going to be created. Even with gold, if the price of gold shoots up, suddenly you have more people mining it. So that increases, you know, it, it becomes affordable to mine it in places that are difficult at the bottom of the ocean. So that increases the supply. So I like Bitcoin because there's no government behind it, because it's just backed by math. And it's a set of very basic rules that decides how it works. Now, at the beginning, at this inception, you know, the sense of they figured out how to stop the double spend, was Bitcoin pegged to a value at the beginning? Was it a sense of one Bitcoin represents this amount of money and now you can't spend it twice? Did that ha Was that the original idea? Nope, nope. No. So what, originally it was just like a toy. It was a, like, just a toy. People used to send it to each other. They'd send thousands to each other and just send them around and just got it moving, just got the system working. And then what happened is the way you something gets a price is you need uh, price discovery and you get price discovery on an exchange. An exchange is really just a meeting of buyers and sellers, what people are willing to pay to buy Bitcoin and what people are willing to sell it for. And then all the transactions take place and the price is the latest price sold. Okay. Now that can be quite volatile in a, in a market with not many buyers and sellers, but over time, as you get more buyers, more sellers, the market becomes more liquid and the price stabilizes. And I can't remember the name of the first exchange. The first big one was Mt. Gox, but I think there was one before there. At that time, then when the first exchange existed, people were saying, I'm willing to pay X for Bitcoin. 
and and then we got price discovery and then we went through these cycles so isn't it amazing in a way that the the market because like obviously this is really right down to the beginning of economics right you know like these values begin to like you say discovery you know that they begin to take shape through you know exchange isn't it amazing that if bitcoin becomes you know basically part of mainstream economics the market at the beginning was very much sinister according to you know the, 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 you know, uh, drugs being bad and all that, but there was an element of uh, underground, uh, the need to to keep things secret that created the market for a bit of value to to find a, a level in the first place. Well, the, the Silk Road is very much a, a Bitcoin idea. If you, if you think about it, yeah, you know, the thing about Bitcoiners is they like money which isn't controlled by the government because I think a lot of us have started to realize that a lot of what the government does is oppressive. Um, so the idea of the Silk Road being is, is, you know, you, you've taken drugs. I've taken drugs. The idea that someone can say, um, are you, you're not allowed to put that drug in your body. You know, we're going to make that decision for you. And if you try to, we might put you in jail for it. It's really quite oppressive because, you know, what I wanted the drug for, for my mother was a treatment for cancer, Mm. but also, yeah, some people want to smoke weed, others want to drink. Drink is legal, weed isn't. So it was very much a, a, an idea of, uh, like a libertarian idea, an idea of freedom, that why let's build something out, outside of the government that lets people do what they want to do. It, yes, look, it has a, some people will look at it with a sinister eye because some people are very much under the kind of the spell of government and believe that the rules the government create are, are the rules for life. But we know those rules are flexible. We know those change. We know so, for example, in the US, almost every state is either legal or legalized or decriminalized uh, marijuana, mo- mostly because they've realized they're going to have revenue from it. And now it's not even just that. I know they're doing research in, I think, up in Colorado, they're con- decriminalizing, is it mushrooms? Or then they're looking at MDMA as a treatment for PTSD. All small, all small drug possession up in is it up in Washington State have now been decriminalized. Like government rules are flexible, so I tend to not look at the Silk Road as a sinister thing. I tend to look at it as a uh, more of a natural, as the market saying this is what people, how people want to live their lives. And the Silk Road was was just a that was just a a, a, a drug market. Was that is that that was a no, website? More than that. Yeah, it was a website. So it was a bit like Amazon, but it had more than that. You could get a range of things. You could buy books, Bibles, drugs. I can't remember if it did guns, uh, fake IDs, um, all kinds of things. I mean, I like the historical I, – I like the fact that they called it the Silk Road because essentially it yeah. goes right back to sort of trade, understanding, you know, exchange. Uh, I mean, so much of the, the, the problems of modern China today still go back to the Silk Road. So there is something quite beautiful about what they called it. I wonder, could they have known that it would help to create what is now becoming like a, you know, one of the biggest financial stories of the century? Well, look, the market spoke. People. If you go and look into the research, there's a there's an association called the Drug Policy Alliance, and that, what they said is uh, prohibition hasn't worked. Yeah, Fifty billion dollars has gone into the drug war hasn't worked. What the Silk Road did is that reduced violence in the drug trade, and it um, reduced harm, and it did it in two ways. Um, I, my friend, one of my friends is a journalist, and he went to look at one of the companies that was selling marijuana. 
they ended up just building a massive barn and essentially they just used to package up the the weed and send it out um a bit like if you go to one of the weed shops now and the dispensaries in the US it's like an apple store for a weed so rather than meeting your mate Dave behind Tesco and buying a you know an eighth or a quarter of weed and you know getting it in a little bag you can go and you can get advice you can get drinks edibles you can get different strains based on what you need they've professionalized it yeah, I mean, I'm I'm all for. It. I mean, I, I, even though I I consider drugs have created great harm in my life, I'm 100 percent for decriminalization of drugs. I don't doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Uh, yeah. Why, you know wh- why you would not see that uh, there's less harm. I I I, I all different stats about whether usage would increase or not, but mm-hmm. the harm would 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 definitely decrease, and certainly the crime 100 percent would decrease. So. Yeah. I need to ask you some some more simple questions. Do it, man. What's a blockchain? Yeah. So this is um, this is essentially the backbone of solving the double spend problem. What happens is, where do I start with this? Okay. Every ten minutes, a block is created. Okay, and in that block, you get all the transactions of the last ten minutes. Okay, so if I send you some Bitcoin, you send your mate some Bitcoin, I send my son some Bitcoin, my dad sends me some, all those transactions go into that block. And every 10 minutes, that block closes. Okay, what happens is the way that closes is all the miners, all these machines are trying to find a secret password. They're all competing to find it. As soon as they find it, they close it and a new block starts. And the reason this solves the double spend problem is that you can only have the you can only put the tr- one transaction into one block, and if you try and put it into another block, the way the blockchain works is the longest chain always wins. So if two miners sold, try to mine a different set of blocks, everyone follows the longest chain, which means because Bitcoin mining is decentralized, the only way you could break that and create fake transactions is have more than fifty one percent of the mining capacity. Does that make sense? I mean, I have to be honest, not 100%. All right. We're going to go even simpler. We'll go even simpler. For me, blockchain- I, I, for me, I, I need real simple. The, the, I, I, I'm a smart guy, but for some reason, when it comes to mathematics, I, 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 I get funky. Right. We'll get it even simpler. Every 10 minutes, a block is created, and in that block has all the transactions okay, that have been created over the last kind of 10 minutes. Okay. okay? And we have got... I don't know, is it like 650,000 blocks now? And all those blocks contain the entire history of all the transactions separated into 10-minute blocks. Are you with me so far? Yes. So if you want to look up any transaction, you just scan the blockchain and you can see what happened and when. Okay. And that's all public. That's all like digitally public public information. Yes. And the reason we have a blockchain is... We want to make sure Bitcoin is really secure. Okay. We don't want anyone to steal Bitcoin. We don't want them to hack it. We don't want people to create fake Bitcoin. So what happens is, is every 10 minutes when a block is created, it has a seal put on it, a cryptographic seal, which is a bunch of code, which means it can't it can't be hacked. It's really difficult to hack. Okay. That's essentially what a blockchain is. So is does it then get more and more difficult to mine one single Bitcoin because of uh, the fact that the you know the blockchain gets greater? There's two things that affect the the 
the not the difficulty there's only one thing that affects the difficulty of mining a block which is the amount of other people mining so if i was mining on my own i would get every block if you and me were mining we'd get about 50% of the blocks each if four of us were mining we get about 25%. Now, there are tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of these machines, all mining now and all competing to get to try and get these blocks, okay? Yeah. There's a reason that's important. Really, really, really important reason. If only you and... Say if you, me, and my son, Connor, were all mining, just the three of us, what could happen is me and Connor could get together. Once you've mined a block... We could go back to the previous one, write some new traction, uh, transactions, and mine past you, okay? Because we can get fifty over 50% of the mining, right? right? What you want is you want Bitcoin to be decentralized. Now, there's hundreds of thousands of these machines all over the world whizzing away, which means nobody can now create fake transactions within the blockchain. And how does a, how does a machine know, like, bing, I've... We, we, we figured it out. How, like, is that Basically, too complicated? Do you, know, do you know what's funny? I've never asked that question myself. I just know they do. They, they do, and they, they cryptographically seal that block, and then 90 blocks later, they get a reward for that. Oh, right. So, so, so it doesn't become one Bitcoin immediately. Well, actually, they get 6. Oh, what is it? 6.25 Bitcoin when they close a block. Actually, they get even more than that. So what happens is every time a block closes, you get something called the block reward that goes to the miner that solved it. They get 6.25 Bitcoin and they get all the uh, transaction fees for all the transactions within that block. So if I sent you some Bitcoin, I have to pay a little transaction fee. They collect all those up and the block reward. Wow. How the fuck? Like, how, yeah. how do they, like at the, at, the, at the onset of all this, how are all these rules created like who decided these this system well it was trial and error like i said look the cypherpunks were trying for a long time to create digital money and they would they would get part of the piece and then it would fail you know digicash was one but that failed because it was centralized so the government can come and shut it down so it had to be decentralized right one, one of the most important pieces was the single proof of work that was invented by adam back which is the mining there has to be a cost to the mining you need proof of work um you need people to have to actually go out and mine these blocks and get a reward for it but what really happened is satoshi went you know in his white paper he cites about nine or ten people he got a bit he learned from here and a bit he learned from there and he pulled it all together yeah it's a bit like the wright brothers there were other people trying to create planes before them and they ended up pulling all the bits together and managed to create a plane that got off the ground it 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 it's it's pretty fascinating. Which oh so so let's let's bring it to the modern day because obviously okay. now we have this big story. Like now Bitcoin's what heading to fifty? Is it fifty yet? Forty forty seven six hundred. It got to forty nine seven hundred yesterday. Yeah, um, and I remember when the Elon Musk story came out because I was glued to CNBC on on the Reddit scandal stuff, and yeah. Elon Musk in the in the sort of tail end of that drama, Elon Musk comes out with this you know 1.5 billion investment story, amidst the Dogecoin thing, which I know you I, I listened to the episode where you you talked about that with two other guys. But anyway, 
long story short, it was it went it quickly went up ten percent, like forty two. I looked at it. I was like, shit, is this the moment where I should just just do it? And then I was just like, oh, I don't have forty two grand to throw at a Bitcoin right now. Uh, but it, but you don't need to. You don't have to buy a whole Bitcoin. Oh, you can buy you can buy a piece of Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's like um, it's like dollars and cents, right? Yeah. We we have Bitcoin and Satoshi's, but where dollars and cents is like two decimal places, Satoshi's go down to eight decimal places. So you can buy five dollars of Bitcoin. See, that's very interesting because I didn't even know that they called the Satoshi's. I didn't know that's what the that's what the the the, the, the breakdown of a Bitcoin was. <laughs> Well, because most people these days can't afford a Bitcoin, you know, can't just go out and spend 47,000. So we, we say stacking sats, you know, just buy a few sats every month, keep building up your stack. Yeah. So, so what, what, let's, let's take now where suddenly this is like, this is kind of seems like a, like a really pivotal moment in Bitcoin, right? This, this may be the moment where more of the financial system has faith in it. Is that what people in the Bitcoin community are seeing right now? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah, I mean, what tends to happen is you people get their conviction with this at different points, right? So I I've, I've been doing this podcast for four years, and I hadn't gone all in. I was like, yeah, it still might fail, still might fail. Mm. And then, you know, we got to the point where it kind of safely sat above ten thousand dollars, and companies started to put money. And I was like, okay, I've, I think we're there now. I, yeah, you know, other people had done it four years previous, or even eight years pre- previous, but. I'd got to that point now where I'm there, but other people are still nervous. Like, you know, you haven't bought any and you're a little bit like, ah, oh, there'll be some people who maybe bought their first Bitcoin this week and see it up and go down and panic. Mm. You all learn, you all learn at your own own pace, but very few people have been in Bitcoin for like over four years and said, nah, I was wrong. This is bullshit. Yeah. So, but so, so here's, here's a, here's an issue that I have since, okay. Actually, you know what? Let me, rather than talk about my issue, l- let me ask a very direct thing that you can explain. Explain to me about the having events and okay. the non-infinite amount of Bitcoin. So you know when I said to you earlier about the miners, when they mine a block, they get 6.25 Bitcoin. Yes. So when Bitcoin first launched, they got 50 Bitcoin. Okay? Mm-hmm. And then what happens is every four years that reward cuts in half. So after four years, it was 25 Bitcoin. After another four years, it was 12 and a half. And then another four years where we are now is 6.25. 
The reason Satoshi did that is to front load the system, to reward those people who got in early on for taking risk. Um, but the reason this is really important is we have to we have to have a way of issuing these 21 million coins. You can't issue them all from day one. No. He could have he could have just done a linear pattern. But what he did is he did this uh, every four years, so there would be a decreasing supply over time, so it become increasingly scarce. So there's what, 18 and a half million have already been issued. So we've got what what's that? Well, 19, 20, two, two and a half million to go. Uh, it might even be less than that now. Um, and what will happen is that this will keep halving until 2140, when the last Bitcoin the last Bitcoin will be mined. Um, the reason the halving events are really important is because when that happens, the amount of fresh new Bitcoin in on that day halves. So the miners that day, you know, they used to get 1,800 Bitcoin a day to sell into the market. Now they only get 900. So that restricts the new Bitcoin coming out into the market. So if Bitcoin, if Bitcoin becomes not just valuable, but it just really in use in society, will there not be a demand for a restructuring of the the way it's created let me throw it back at you why do we need to have a restructuring of the way it's created well i i I guess because if you have such a a thing of immense value uh in not enough circulation then it can it would be hard for everybody to get a piece of you know the, the the ability to use it Everyone can get a piece of Bitcoin. Yeah, I mean, just, I, I get it. It's the same as money, but like, will will it just mean that the the value of increasing decimal points, you know, will go up, and that that it it'll just become like one Satoshi is what a one Bitcoin used to be years ago? Potentially, the the point being is it, it teaches financial discipline, right? If we have a restructuring to issue more coins. We're actually just recreating the system we have now where people can print money. Think about Bitcoin. It's, it's very easy to get. I can go right now at five, ten different apps on my phone and buy Bitcoin instantly, and I have it, right? Because there is supply in the market. There's just a price to pay. The price might keep going up, but that's natural as more people realize this is great money and they want to buy it. But but you won't see a restructuring to increase the supply. The supply will always be 21 million. And the later you get in, the more you're going to pay for it. Uh, is the is the ideal, is the hope that one day this would be the global currency? Or is it always a sense of this will be one type of currency and just a very reliable one? Yeah, it's a good question because currency is a tricky one because it's volatile. Um, I went out to Venezuela at the start of last year and you know, went to a restaurant where they have to – the prices are now stickers because they have to replace them so often because they've got hyperinflation. Yeah. This is too volatile to price things in right now, but the price changes too much. So something which is volatile is hard to uh, act as a currency. Now, a lot of Bitcoiners will talk about, well, you know, it starts as a collectible, then it becomes a store of value, then it becomes a medium exchange, and then it becomes a unit of account, or, or unit, the unit of account and medium exchange might be the other way around. It might be a case that it's always volatile. So it might never be a natural currency in terms of like buying a cup of coffee or spending. It might only ever be that store of value, the yes. a way of holding an asset which isn't being inflated. But that's fine. I think I think for a lot of Bitcoiners, if you want to say collectively what they want, what they see here with Bitcoin is that you create a more honest world and hopefully 
reduce the size of government. Some people want to completely end government. I'm not one of those, but I definitely want to reduce the size of government. I yeah, because hackers are not great at filling potholes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we could have voluntary organizations that do that where we all contribute to us. The, the libertarians, I think, have a lot of really sound arguments. And I think theoretically, they're, they're basically right. I think, I, I don't know how it plays out. But I think if, I think government needs to have some kind of restriction on the way they spend money. We've seen, look, we saw Lebanon, what happened earlier last year, when, um, what happened to their currency when their government can no longer pay their debts because they were financially irresponsible. And do you know what? All the people who set the rules are usually corrupt motherfuckers anyway mm-hmm. and have been robbing the system. Same with Zimbabwe. The people who create the rules rob the system. Same with Venezuela. I mean, probably similar in Turkey, but you know, the people who, who cause the high inflation are not the ones who suffer from it. And the people who don't cause it are the ones that suffer from it. So if we had a way of restrict, if we had a way where government had to become more responsible with money and therefore became a bit smaller, I'm all for that. I think that's a great next step. And if Bitcoin does that, and, and you probably want to think, well, how does Bitcoin do that? Well, four years ago, lots of people were buying Bitcoin. Now we've got lots of companies buying Bitcoin. The next step is countries buying Bitcoin. Now we have countries mining it, but what if a country came forward, like India said, you know, we're going to replace our gold reserves with Bitcoin. Yeah, we get to that next step. And then mm. if countries have to back have to back their currencies with Bitcoin, they have to become fiscally responsible. Right. So that so that I mean that is quite a high ideal, but I mean it it, it, yeah. it makes sense in that we are everybody seems to very much be buying into to the store of value that is Bitcoin. And I you know, sometimes I go like what this is such a load of bullshit and then I remember that a baseball card or a comic book suddenly gets value. So, I mean, anything yeah. can have value. So it's really not, it's, it, it shouldn't be as mind-blowing as it is sometimes in my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're right. Like, it's, what are the stores of value? You know, gold, Bitcoin, front row of the Knicks, artwork. Houses. Um, houses, you know, anything where there's limited supply is, is a great store of value. And that's why when you look at the way government prints money, you realize uh, our currencies are a poor store of value. Okay, so finally, All right. I want to talk to you about the collection of things you seem to call shitcoin. Yes. <laughs> from, from a quick listen to your podcast. <laughs> now, I remember at the, 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 what I thought was the first spike of Bitcoin, that 2017 thing, that Ethereum was the sort of the, the, the poor cousin of Bitcoin. A lot of people jumped in there. Now I see a few others. Without getting into Dogecoin just yet, are there any other... Uh, reliable stores of value other than Bitcoin, or are they just things that quickly jump on the Bitcoin sort of bandwagon? No, basically, the, the way the way to say it, see it is if you're saying as a store of value, because that's a that's a different question from normally. Anything you're holding which isn't Bitcoin, that amount of money you're short Bitcoin. You're basically saying you think that it will perform better than Bitcoin. Um, I don't hold any asset outside of Bitcoin because I think it's the best form of value. I mean, I've got some pounds in the bank to survive with, mm-hmm. but I don't because I'm not short Bitcoin. So if you hold 50% Ethereum, 50% Bitcoin, your 50% Ethereum is short Bitcoin and your 50% Bitcoin is essentially short Ethereum. I believe so much in Bitcoin that I'm short everything else. Right. But 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 is Ethereum also a blockchain? It is. Did You know why they're called shitcoins, right? 
No. Because they're shit. <laughs> this is it. And, and, and you can break it down as to why. Now, listen, you could get somebody else on here who will tell you why Ethereum is great. Okay. The reason Bitcoin is so great is it is decentralized. You cannot switch it off. The Chinese government banned it. They cannot stop people owning Bitcoin. I can store my seed words in my head and I can go to another country and I'm holding Bitcoin. And I write them down and I can move my Bitcoin around and it's decentralized. And the reason it's so well decentralized is, you know, when we talked about the blocks, mm-hmm. all the Bitcoiners focus on keeping those blocks as small as possible. So there's a one megabyte limit. The reason that's important is that the entire Bitcoin blockchain, the whole 12 years of transactions, is something like 260 gigabytes. So if you want to run a node and monitor the network and validate transactions, you can do it on your laptop because your laptop can hold 260 gigabytes. Now, when you look at something like Ethereum, Ethereum wants to do lots of things. You know, it wants to create tokens and coins and money and smart contracts. It's been going a lot less than Bitcoin. I think it's like five, six years. Its total blockchain is four terabytes. You won't be able to set up a node during that. Most nodes have to be set up in uh, data centers. So it has a big attack surface. Um, Essentially, it is not really very well decentralized. Now, people will say, well, decentralization is a spectrum. I just say directionally. Directionally, Bitcoin is becoming more decentralized, which means it's harder to kill. Ethereum is becoming more centralized, which means it's easier to kill. So think of Ethereum as a casino or a game. You can go in there, get some ETH, trade some shit, and you may come out with some more ETH, and you can trade that out. Think of Bitcoin as the hardest, best money that's ever existed. Right. So, uh, but but also, in my opinion, I think a lot of these other uh, digital, these other stores of value only have value because of Bitcoin. No, Bitcoin has value because of itself. But yeah, but what I mean oh, is Oh, they, they do. They, yeah, I mean, look, they're riding off the back of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's what it seems to me. Bitcoin starts raging and then people in their minds, I guess they think, "Oh, well, these ones are cheaper. I'll get in early on this one and make out like like Bitcoiners did 7 years ago kind of a thing." Yeah. That's exactly what they're thinking and they're hoping and they might do that. Look, if I could trade, I would trade these shit coins to get more Bitcoin. I would do it, but I can't. So, my strategy is I put as much money as I can in Bitcoin and I learn multi-year patience. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it seems to be very much a long game, but a long game that yeah. could be one of the great payouts of, of our time. <laughs> Dude, listen, look, the predictions are like Bitcoin's like gravity, right? It has this event horizon. Like once you cross it, you can't leave. And I can't. I, now I get it. Now I understand it. Now I don't want, I, I don't want to hold pounds. I hold six weeks of business and personal cash flow. Everything else goes into Bitcoin, and I just ride it out year after year, and I've become very disciplined with my money. Um, and now I've done that like first four years. I've got through the hardest bit. It's a bit like – how do I explain it? Like my kids, when my kids were born, right, I used to put 50 quid a month away for them. And you don't really notice it. And now my son's 16. There's like 10 grand there or whatever. Yeah. Like you don't it pay suddenly attention. builds up. Yeah. You don't pay attention. That's what you should do with Bitcoin. Don't trade it. Don't leverage it. Just – Buy a little bit every month and ignore it for 10 years. And in 10 years, it's probably the best. But it is hard to be disciplined with Bitcoin because it has these insane fluctuations. And I got to think there has to have been a moment in the last week or two where you thought, will I dump one or two just to get some cash flow? Like, surely there must be some enticement with these insane valuations. 
Yeah, no, look, I have. Like I've said to like the kids, yeah, let's sell a little bit and have a nice holiday when the lockdown's over. Like a holiday we couldn't normally afford, right? Let's go and let's go to the Maldives and get like a one of those like cottages in the sea. Like something we could never <laughs> normally do. Let's treat ourselves. But you know, that's fine. Like everyone should treat themselves. Yeah. Everyone should do that. Um but no, I I am I I see the long game now. I just see the gravity of Bitcoin sucking in the way it's sucking in money and um and yeah i i'm i'm in now there's 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 no escape for me what's your um because i'm going to ask you about dogecoin right at the end but since it's on my mind what's your favored uh, exchange what's your favored way to buy bitcoin well i i would always look i i my career is supported by my sponsors i would always promote my sponsors because i sure. do my job without them so i'd always say kraken is definitely worth checking out there that's kraken c-r-a K-R-A-K-E-N. Oh, yeah, Kraken. Which is, funny enough, gets mentioned a lot in all the Trump chaos. Yeah. There's a lot of release the Kraken and all this. What is Kraken? Kraken. Kraken's an octopus, isn't it? Or like a sea monster. Yeah, I know. It's just how you, I, you know, I keep seeing Kraken and I keep meaning to find out why is everyone talking about the Kraken? And then I forget. Now you've mentioned the Kraken and I'm, 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 I'm once again showing my ignorance, but it's very hard these days to keep up with the lingo. It's, it's, it's forever <laughs> changing, you know? So just to finish, just because Dogecoin was like a little story. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's funny because it, it shows a, a great contradiction in that. Elon Musk invests 1.5 billion in Bitcoin, which gives Bitcoin this this you know this sense of an increased trust in society. But at the same time, this fucking lunatic who is is, is I have a love hate relationship with Elon Musk and his bravado. This lunatic also pushes Dogecoin, which you know from everything I can see is just like a like a meme thing. It is it is exactly it's, it's a joke. It's a joke. It's a meme. The guy created it, created it as a joke. He didn't make any money out of it. And then what happens is every uh, every few years it shoots up and it shoots back down because it has no utility. Like you could use it and spend it, but people aren't. Like Bitcoin has this rolling life, has this purpose. You know, it is a store of value. It is censorship resistant. Um, Doge doesn't. So every couple of years, up it goes, back down it goes, and then it dies off. So um, were, you, were, it, were people in the Bitcoin community a little bit annoyed at, at him sort of pushing that? Yeah, they were, because it's a little bit like, you know people are going to get burned. Um, you know people are going to put money in, and it's going to shoot up, and it's going to shoot down, and they're going to lose money. So we know that's going to happen. We've seen it happen time and time again, and it's just it's just a bit sad for them when it happens. And. The, is is there any fear in the Bitcoin community that uh, Elon is going for the pump and dump on Bitcoin? No, no, I think I th- no, because one of the things you learn about with Bitcoin, which is really interesting, is you never want to sell it. Really, you never want to sell it because you might know it might go up in the future. But what you are getting is an increased number of services that will lend you money for your like with your Bitcoin, so you don't have to sell it. So, for example, say I wanted to buy a house, you know, I could say I needed. Two hundred fifty thousand pound for a deposit, um, let's say dollars, um, and I didn't want to sell my Bitcoin. I could, I could take a loan out against that Bitcoin, borrow the two hundred fifty thousand dollars, buy the house, and just pay the loan off gradually. But that Bitcoin continues to accumulate value over the time, and so a lot of there's a lot of uh, you know b- better services now coming on and getting better premiums because people realize like Bitcoin is a pristine asset. You don't want to let it go. So yeah, I mean, I was interesting. Any- I was listening to one of your later episodes, and it was interesting. One of your guests was talking about, uh, you know, the return that you can get on loaning out your Bitcoin, and 
you know, just d- different ways that you can monetize your Bitcoin without selling it. Yeah. 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 You can earn yield in it. But I think it's more like people just don't want to let it's the best asset you can own. Why would you let it go? You don't want to let it go. I know. It's amazing how much faith you have in it. it, it, it it's, it, it's, it's such an interesting time because I, I, I mean, obviously in my lifetime, I've seen, and how, how old are you? 42. Yeah. So you just about remember the housing crash of the late eighties in London, right? Like, you know, you know, I remember it people, happening. Yeah. People just handed back their keys. I remember that happening in the States. Obviously I remember that the, the crash in Ireland, like value of my house went down by, by 60 grand, but you know, obviously property just like just has gone up so much and people don't question it, even though we've seen these, these massive drops, but I, I don't, I don't think like, Oh, property is really that risky. Uh, you know, but yet I do feel that Bitcoin is this exceptionally risky thing. Yeah, I mean, I think we've got this kind of protective moat now. Now, like Elon Musk has put a load of money in Michael Saylor. Yeah, everyone's looking at it now. I think I don't think it's risky anymore. I think it's volatile, but I don't think it's risky. Yeah. Well, I just need to get off this podcast so I can go and uh, buy, get on Kraken. <laughs> you, you, you need to get you need to get off zero. <laughs> yeah i know it just annoyed zero, you know but it's like there was this you know they like obviously there's just jokes throughout your life it's like oh you know i, I could have bought that house for a hundred grand and now it's worth 500 and like already i've i felt that about bitcoin i remember sitting in a cafe in dublin i was chatting to this this girl and she was she was messing around with the 2017 time and she bought and she sold and she made like 40 percent and she thought she was a, a you know like a, like a trading genius and i remember telling her you better fucking get out of that thing because you're going to lose your mind but then like i said when it went back down to six i was like shit i have bought it and i mean how many people are going to be like that if as you say this becomes the most important store of value in our society how many people are going to be like oh, i remember thinking i should have just grabbed one Dude, how many people thought they should have got it at 20,000? Like, thought they should have got it last week and they're like, oh, it's never coming back. And now is it like 50,000? And how many are going to do the same? And then the next time it's going to be 300,000. And then the same, then a million. Like, you've either got to spend the time learning and investing and figuring it out or just keep missing out. I mean, look, now you seem like a very, cold. you seem like a very normal guy. What are you going to yeah. do if you end up becoming like a, a majorly wealthy guy because of this? I'm going to get a really nice car. <laughs> really, yeah, I am. A really gross, disgusting Lamborghini. Uh, and then I'm going to buy Bedford Town Football Club. <laughs> That's right. You're the king of Bedford, according to, uh, according to the internet. Yeah. Bedford, Bedford Town Football Club. I don't know, man. Look, look, I've got everything I need in life. Uh, I don't, I've got enough money these days. Like, I'm not rich, but... I mean, what, what, what more do you want? Like, I'm not going to, I don't need a plane or a helicopter. No, I know. It's just interesting because you're in early yeah. on something that may end up, you know, it may, it may be <sighs> quite the bonanza, you know? Yeah, I mean, maybe, but like, I'll probably give most of it away. I'm not like, I'm honestly, I, as long as I got like a nice house and a car, I'm okay. I don't. I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm I, personally, personally, I'm looking forward to Bedford Town FC uh, in the it. Premier League with cracking across their, <laughs> cracking across Dude. their jersey. <laughs> Honestly, if I could, I would give all my money away to be, to be able to do that. I know it's amazing the passion that 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 football can incite. That's I know, so dude. Great, I love it. Well, listen, Peter, thanks so much. I mean, I'm so grateful to David anytime. Williams for connecting us. You know, listen, anytime, dude. And when I'm when I'm stateside, we'll get out and grab a beer. Oh no, you don't drink. I don't drink, but that's that's totally fine. We can uh, we'll, we can we'll we go can and go. get um, a, a Jamba Juice. 
Yeah, yeah, but I'm 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 quite I'm quite happy to to socialize. Hopefully by then I'll I'll tell you how many shitoshis I have, and uh, you know we'll see we'll see if they've gone up or I'll fucking it'll all fall apart and I'll I'll resent you deeply. Well, I'll I'll probably already be resenting myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, man. Thank- oh, by the way, sorry. Let me. Uh, you know, you might as well plug some of your stuff. You know, your podcast. Yeah. Well, listen. If people want to check out the podcast, it's called What Bitcoin Did. Um, said what Bitcoin, what Bitcoin did dot com. All the platforms, and I keep it simple. Look, I ask a question similar to you. I keep it really easy. Um, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Peter McCormack. Uh, emails are open. You can email me if you listen to the shows. Hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Yeah, just you'll find it. If you search for what Bitcoin did, you'll find it. The 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 next time the next time we chat, maybe we, we can chat about grief. We can get deep. That's my other yeah. my other favorite subject from Let's other do than addiction, addiction and grief. Addi- exactly. It's it's literally my calling card, you know? Yeah, I, tr- I, I try to bring bring humor and depth to the addiction and grief conversation. <laughs> We'll do that, man. I'd love that. Anyway, man, thank you so much. Really nice to meet you. And uh, I'll, I'll have this episode up ASAP. Anytime, dude. Listen, just reach out if you need me. Thank you, mate. Thank you so much. So thanks. Thanks to Peter. Thanks to you guys for listening. Thanks to Dave McWilliams for the connection. Um, Yeah, I mean, like I said at the beginning, I'm still confused about certain things, but I certainly know a lot more. Whether I go and buy some... Shitoshis or Takoshis. I'm not so sure yet. Uh, We'll watch the price. I mean, I'm probably going to buy a few cents worth, but uh, it's pretty fascinating. But, you know, obviously, like this podcast does not recommend that you immediately uh, invest in Bitcoin, Uh, but this podcast does recommend that you uh, begin to explore further if it's interesting to you. You know, there are. There's, 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 there's some conflicts in my opinion. You know, there is this sense that it's becoming more mainstream and more companies are investing in it. But on the flip side, as you can tell, it, it's sort of, it, it, it's invested in this sense of no, uh, no centralized government looking after it. And it, it'll be curious to see how it plays out long. I, I, I find it fascinating. Now I have to tell you, I find it fascinating. Um, so I hope you guys enjoyed the app. We'll be back next week. Don't forget to send Steve a message at hello Steve-o. He wrote a great article in the Irish Times about not being a comedian anymore, certainly not feeling like one. Uh, and it was just a good take, as there are many takes on the stress of the pandemic, uh, work and identity, new beginnings, uh, it's very it's a very well written article actually. So check that out if you haven't seen it yet. Stephen Mullen, Google Stephen Mullen Irish Times, and you'll see that article there. I'm gonna go now. Uh, we got a big storm coming here in uh, in New York, and I'm supposed to get an ultrasound today. They haven't canceled the appointment. The ultrasound's at 10:15. It is an absolute guarantee that it's gonna snow a lot. But I want to get this ultrasound. Don't be worrying, guys. Don't be thinking that anything really bad is happening. It's kind of just a super safe thing that I'm doing just because I did have testicular cancer, which was not a great thing in my life, having testicular cancer, until it made me eligible for a vaccine in the state of New York. So I'm getting my first vaccination dose next Friday. 
However, it also means that doctors are always super paranoid if I have anything that resembles a lump, which I do uh, sort of at the back of my jaw. Now, my doctor has no concerns whatsoever that it's cancer, but she, obviously it's better to be safe. She thinks it's a fat deposit or a cyst. Uh, it's not a very common place to have a tumor, but I am getting a, I am getting the ultrasound. And I'm not saying this to be alarmist. I'm just telling you about everyday life. Plus, I also think that it's good to talk about being responsible with your health publicly because I think a lot of people, particularly men, probably when they have something like this would be like, ah, that's grand. But, you know, why not check? I hope it doesn't cost me an arm and a leg because my health insurance sucks over here. But that's a topic for another day. So now it is 7.15 a.m. My appointment is at 10.15. I'm going to try to get this episode up before I leave and make it, despite the fact that the further, the closer I get to Manhattan, the more snow there will be. I'm not taking the BMW because I sold it on Carvana, guys. After the drama of last week, I was like, I've had enough. I sold it on Carvana. I'll talk about that another day. Absolutely fantastic service. I can't believe it was so simple. I'm not sponsored by them. If I was, I would give them the best sponsored read they've ever had because I couldn't be happier. So good. Like, unbelievably simple. I hope they come to Ireland because it's such a great service. It's insanely good, actually. In fact, I got to talk to some of my Irish buddies about starting an Irish version of Carvana because it's insanely good, the system. I can't believe it, actually. I'm in shock. So no more BMW. Taking my mom's Honda CRV into the city. Please, God, no danger. And uh, please, God, the snow isn't so bad. I can't stay in the city because I got to get back to Mumu, who I can't bring into the city. She's just not good enough with other dogs. I just don't trust taking her onto an elevator because I'd love to just go into the city uh, with the dog and stay in my apartment and chill for the snow to finish. But honestly, she, she kind of goes for other dogs on walks sometimes, and I'm just not taking the risk of ending up in the wrong elevator with the wrong dog. So... I'm going in, I'm getting this ultrasound, and I'm coming back out. So I better stop talking because I want this thing up in the next 45 minutes so I can get in there on time. I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Peace. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.